RPA, AI, and, and other platforms play a very important role, uh, as you can imagine, in today's GBS. These are all increasingly sophisticated ways for companies to get cost uh, productivity advantages and then additional value creation advantages. And they're all sequential. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narakari, founder and CEO of iRadius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to host Tony Saldana, a business leader with 30 years of experience in driving innovation and technology across shared services and IT. Tony is the co-founder of Inixia, which is positioned to be the global industry certification and standards body for GBS. Tony brings transformational experience in both GBS and digital transformation from his formal role as VP of IT and GBS leader at Procter & Gamble. Tony, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Sashi, for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. All right, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey. I have about 35 years in the IT and global business services, uh, GBS industry. I almost like grew up with the IT and GBS industry. I helped set up the first ever shared services in the Philippines and then was also associated with the outsourcing trend for the world where I was program leader for Procter & Gamble's really, really large outsourcing deal with HP. And then, of course, I left PNG about three years ago to write uh, my book on digital transformations and these days. And then, you know, when time permits, I, I catch up with really dear friends like yourself on um, a new adventures like a podcast. So congratulations, Sashi, on, on this. You bet. Very inspiring career. So now we're going to jump into the $6 million questions, Tony, that I've been asking all GBS leaders. So the first one is captive center versus outsourcing. Tony, I know your program managed the biggest outsourcing deal in the world, worth about $8 billion in PNG. Would you suggest that outsourcing is a better model for deploying shared services compared to a captive center? The only correct answer to this is that it has actually got to be driven in the context of your GBS objectives. So there are very specific situations in which captive centers work best, and there are very specific situations in which outsourcing works best. Uh, So that's the answer. Now, to explain that, it's very, very simple. Most GBS leaders should think of their work. I'm I'm talking about GBS leaders in the client side, not on the offshore side. They need to think of their jobs, not necessarily as being in the BPO business, so reducing transactional costs by moving work somewhere, but essentially as transforming the business. Because If you start to play in the commodity world of, I can just do the same work cheaper, then the question is, why do you need a GBS? Why not just outsource everything, right? So if you are the GBS leader, you've got to ask yourself, is this work commodity? Uh, So for example, nobody really does hosting anymore uh, or cloud in their own company. You'd rather buy that because it's a commodity and you you can get it cheaper, better, faster. So under those circumstances, you outsource. Then you have to ask yourself, is this commodity-ish work where I also want to innovate and do continuous improvement? And for those captive centers are absolutely fantastic because you could start with relatively low quote-unquote value-added work, 
but then you know places like India and Mexico and so on and so forth keep getting better and better and better in terms of quality of the people and you can even drive innovation out of them. All right. Number two question is around harmonizing and standardizing first or lift or shift first. So you brought about major standardization in BNG in the 90s. What would be your suggestion to the GBS community listening today? Unlike the 1990s or even 2000s, technology has evolved to this to the extent that you actually do not have to first and foremost drive one platform, like one SAP platform across the world. I mean, you know, you don't want a hundred or you don't want a 50 platforms, but you know, you can get it down to a manageable number. In those days, the technology and computing wasn't where it is today. Nowadays, you know, you have enterprise service buses and other platforms and microservices architectures that allow you to essentially deal with multiple platforms. But specific to GBS, my recommendation in today's context is basically to start with a lift and shift. Again, all of this is always within context. I mean, if you've got mass chaos and within your own company, you cannot really control anything that's happening, you know, service levels are terrible, cost is terrible, then you don't never outsource the problem because it'll only get bigger. But if it is stable, even if it is not standardized, then I would lift and shift because it gets you your money Uh, your savings relatively quickly, you can kind of sign that up as part of the deal. And then you can drive standardization with the help of the partner. Makes sense. RPA, Robotic Process Automation versus Foundational Platforms. There is a lot of debate. You had a book you wrote, Tony, which is Why Digital Transformations Fail, shows how digital transformation can be made routinely successful. What is your recommendation on implementing RPA, AI, or any other foundational platforms in GBS? RPA, AI, and and other platforms play a very important role, uh, as you can imagine, in today's GBS. Here's my advice there. These are all increasingly sophisticated ways for companies to get cost uh, productivity advantages and then additional value creation advantages. And they're all sequential. So, you know, of course, driving standardization of work processes and driving maybe common platforms, whether they're SAP or you know, so on and so forth, is, is the, the bottom foundation. RPA today, unlike three or four years ago, where there were so many cases of the project not paying off, RPA today has become much more reliable as customers have figured out how to be successful. And how to be successful at RPA is firstly to make sure that you're, you know, you're standardizing as much as possible before you automate. Secondly, that you take into account the cost of ongoing routine change management as opposed to you know just automating everything and then finding out that if one thing changes you have to redo the whole thing right but with all of those caveats i believe that you know you can very easily get another 10 20 30% cost efficiency out of your system by using rpa right so it's a very important tool if done right the next layer of complexity then becomes machine learning or ai because that's when you start to get into judgmental type uh, decisions, right? So it's not just a, hey, you know, do a screen capture, do an OCR, and then link it up so it all becomes automated. It's basically, you know, look at your accounts receivables and then use machine learning to figure out whether in the past a deduction or claim has been valid or invalid and may not based on the data, then rather than using a human, then you use AI. And and that's exactly the use case that you and I worked on about four or five years ago. So that's the next layer. And I think 
the what's out there on digital transformation is with AI, never fall for a technology, always go for a proven use case. So what you and I did at that time was we went after a very narrow use case. Claims and deductions come in, you've got the data set, can you use machine learning to test whether a machine can do that? Yes or no. So rather than investing in a quote-unquote platform and buying a buzzword, we bought the use case and it was incredibly successful. Absolutely. So I think the key focus, I think to summarize what you said is focus on the business outcomes and don't make it like if everything is like a hammer, then fit, then everything looks like a nail, right? If you just put exactly. it by itself, then you're going and force fitting to solve problems versus what's the problem, what is the outcome and evaluating a multitude of technologies to get to the outcome. Yes, that's one of the biggest issues in many organizations. They will go out and say, hey, we have chosen as a standard this RPA tool. And it really doesn't matter whether they chose a good one or a bad one, UiPath or you know whatever it is. Because then they say, okay, now I have this tool. Where can I apply it? And that's more often than not a risky approach to automation. A better approach to automation is exactly, let's go after the business uh, issue. Let's go after the use cases. Most RPA tools are at the point now that they're, you know, 60 to 80% similar. But, you know, rather than start with the tool and go after the use case, you have to be very diligent in reversing that. All right. The fourth million dollar question, very important for all GBS leaders, cost cutting to revenue driver. As you know, most GBS centers start with labor cost arbitrage as the main motivation, which is good. You got to do that. But how do you share with the GBS community your secret recipe? for transforming GBS from a cost-cutting focus to a revenue growth strategy. It's really important for us as GBS leaders to not stop with cost-cutting. That may be a point of entry, but to set your goal as being business, value creation, transformational leaders. So that's the very, very clear advice I have. Now, the question is how? So the challenge in the GBS industry historically is that the industry of GBS was created as a cost-cutting exercise, right? So instead of paying expensive people in expensive locations, can we standardize, consolidate it, and do it in low cost, right? And that's a really good thing to keep in mind because GBS has evolved since then because the minute you do that, the minute you reduce that cost, the question becomes, what's next, right? Can you beat the next little emerging country somewhere in Asia or Africa for their cost structures, are you going to move your shared services from like Asia to Africa? And the answer is no. So what you have to do is then, as a GBS leader, have a long-term vision of, we will, GBS, we will be the transformation, business transformation, digital transformation engine of the company. We can source how we do that smartly, any way we want. We could use either offshore locations to do that. We could use outsourcing to do that. We could use technology, AI to do that. But your job is to be the internal McKinsey of the company. So the business leaders look at them and say, okay, you gave me the labor arbitrage. What have you done for me today? And then if they are not able to answer that, then they basically say, fine, you know, I will just outsource you or I will outsource your organization. And so it's really important to understand the business model of GBS in these companies. And that's got to be a value creation engine. That's interesting. It's almost like as it as GBS leaders, once you do the labor cost arbitrage, you just become steady state and you need to almost go for the transformation for your business stakeholders. So you need to adopt the next journey. It's almost like a survival skill, if you will. 
Yes. A lot of the work that I do with GBS leaders, I basically say to them, you know, think of yourself as not running a function, but of running a company within your company. Because you know this, now with, you know, multiple billions of dollars of valuation, if you are running a company, you are not just looking for, hey, I will do this strategy and then I'm done for life, right? You're always looking at what's my business model change over time. And when GBS leaders think of their job as running a business, meaning I have to do marketing, I have to communicate all the good work that I'm doing. Otherwise, it's going to be like a utility. Nobody cares when you're on, when you're off, everybody complains about you. Uh, So you have to do marketing, you have to do innovation, including disruptive innovation to go from cost to value creation. You have to do manufacturing, which is operations offshore, Six Sigma, so on and so forth. So literally, successful GBS leaders run their organizations as if they were running a business. Absolutely. Core ERP versus modern SaaS platform. Tony, as you know, everyone is confused about, I already have SAP, I already have Oracle, you have invested millions of dollars, and you have all these modern niche AI platforms. It's like Hydridis or even a lot of other companies like Coupa. So circling back to your expertise in digital transformation, in your view, what is the trade-off? So I think it's a complementary strategy rather than a either-or strategy. And here's why I, I think that is true, right? So there is a study that McKinsey had done a few years ago that said, you know, if you use standard platforms, just SAP, you know, whatever it is, you can get to about 70% automation of your work processes. That's it, right? Because you have to understand that, you know, businesses are never going to be as standard as, you know, let's just get everybody on one platform and get every salesperson to sell exactly the same way and every, you know, accounting person to operate the same way. So that is the limitation of just saying, I have a platform, I'm done, right? You're leaving at least 30% more on the the table. And this is just in terms of cost, right? Value creation, you need even more, right? That's really where the use case specific solutions like high radius comes in. You know, I talked during uh, my earlier introduction of this interesting dilemma of if you're best in class, what do you do next? Well, what you do next is then you start to play in that 30% and more, which is in value creation. And in terms of architectures, what that does is it starts to say, okay, even if you standardize the platforms to actually create new value or innovative business models, e-commerce is a great example. You may need to actually target consumers using AI and data differently, literally every few minutes. And there's no standard platform that's ever going to do that for you. So you have to get into niche platforms. What High Radius does, and this is the reason why you guys are valued more than $3 billion, is that you take a very specific narrow area of AR and you say, we are going to essentially get to that 30% plus all of the new business models, the ecosystems, the value creation. How do you grow sales further? How do you drive asset efficiency? And we are going to do just this one area, but we're going to do it better than anybody else in the world. And there is a really important place for those solutions on top of the standard platforms. Tony, what would you leave your listeners with some parting advice, your your GBS uh, leaders around the world? What would be your parting advice? So, you know, I would say three things. Um, Firstly, you know, the number one issue that you have to worry about in the GBS world is obsolescence, right? 
the GBS model, like every other business model, gets obsolete very fast. In fact, faster than others because of the industry in which we play, the GBS industry. So go beyond cost, get into value creation. You know, as Sashi was saying just now, have a five, seven, 10 year roadmap on how to add value to the business, right? So that's the first thing I would share. The second thing I would share is there has never been a better time than now to actually be in the GBS business because, you know, the number one priority for most boards and CEOs is digital transformation. Now they have two choices. They can bring in an external person or a chief digital officer to do that. But the problem with that is that they hardly ever understand the nuts and bolts and internal work processes and how those work. GBS leaders can be the best digital transformation leaders of the company. So if you define your role correctly and you bring the organization along, this can be the best time of your career. And the third thing I would say is that this is never about the technology. It's never about specific strategies like you know, a technology or offshore or siting or sourcing. It is all about how are you creating value to the board of directors, to the CEOs. So business focus is critical. And if you do that, you know, you're going to have the time of your life. Great advice. Tony, this has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Sashi. Thank you for joining us on this episode of GBS Masterminds. For more episodes and information, visit highradius.com slash podcast and stay tuned for the next Mastermind. That was the GBS Masterminds podcast. For more information, visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for GBS Masterminds in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at High Radius, thanks for listening.